with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in! Touchdown! Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, here we go. Football is four. Andrew DeCecco, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew, of course, you can read his Eagles coverage all season long at 973ESPN.com. He's got a story up right now on the Eagles running back situation. We'll dive into that and more as we're joined for Football at Four with Andrew DeCecco here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Happy Friday, Andrew. What's up, pal? Doing well, guys. How are you? It doesn't feel quite like Memorial Day weekend with the rain and everything that's going on, but uh, I'm feeling like uh, this weekend's going to be a good one. I saw that you liked my uh, article on the uh, craft beer IPAs. Are you an IPA guy? Yeah, I am, actually. Uh, I've been trying to figure out a good one for this weekend because, uh, you know, there's so many out there. <laughs> I actually live right down the street from Victory Brewing, so I always have that uh, that option. Oh, all right. Well, uh, I got a nice list up if you want to uh, take off any there, and uh, this should be a fun weekend. Let's get into it here. Football at 4, Andrew, uh, right now at 973ESPN.com. This is kind of a, an interesting topic. You have a preview of the battle of the backup running back. So much talk has been about Carlos Hyde, Devonta Freeman. Um, do they need to go that route, or is there enough interesting names on the current roster uh, that will suffice? Well, when you look at the running back situation, I think you almost have to go for get, get a running uh, veteran running back in the free agent market because, you know, like we were saying earlier, you're, you're, a, you're a hamstring injury here or a tweak here or there from Miles, Sanders, from Miles Sanders to having Boston Scott take on all those snaps. And I don't necessarily think that he's uh, equipped for doing that. I think he's more of a, a third down running back, you know, a third on the depth chart type of guy. I think a guy like Carlos High would be great. Also a guy like Isaiah Crowell, who's averaged about 630 yards uh, for his six seasons. Um, and he's only 27 years old, so I think he'd be another good option. But, um, you know, kind of when you, when you look at the running backs, um, there's some intriguing names there, Mike. Um, you got Elijah Holyfield, who, let's face it, he had one year of production at Georgia. He ran for 1,000 yards. He was stuck behind Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. If he has another – if he stays for a senior year, we're talking about a draftable running back. He's 22 years old, so you got great value there. You essentially got a guy for free without having to invest a draft pick. Mike Warren is another guy who left school early. He had, uh, I believe he had nearly 3,000 yards of all-purpose yards and 36 touchdowns in two seasons at Cincinnati. He, he elected to enter the draft after his junior season, so that's another great value pick. And then, you know, you look at Adrian Killens, who I had a chance to see at the Shrine Bowl. He's very small. I believe he was 5'8", 165 pounds. Uh, he was listed at that then. Um, so when I saw him, I was like, I remember saying to someone, I was like, you know, I don't think this guy's going to get drafted. But his speed is special. It's good enough to get him into a training camp and maybe even onto an uh, active roster eventually. But um, he's a dynamic. He's one of the fastest players in the, in the entire draft and was one of the fastest players in the country last season. So they have some names there. Interesting uh, names, uh, to say the least. As you mentioned, they kind of come in all shapes and sizes. What's the right uh, complement then to Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, two guys who do different things? What's the guy in the middle that, that would be the best kind of uh, fit? Well, out of the out of the ones that I wrote about today, I would say Mike Warren because he's he's got that power power element, but he also has some finesse to his game. He caught fifty one passes at Cincinnati, so he does have that element to his game. 
Um, you know, if the Eagles chose to tap into that, now he's going to be he's going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage here because he doesn't have the, the full off season. Um, so maybe he's he's not he's going to be a little bit behind in the, uh, the pecking order. I think when when camp starts up behind uh, Corey Clement and Elijah Holyfield and and Killens, I see is more of a. I think he'll eventually be. If you guys remember uh, Dexter McCluster, he played for the Chiefs for a while. He's built very similar similarly, and um, he has that special teams uh, background as well. So I think that you know he might not be ready right away, and I think he'll probably spend the 2020 season on the practice squad where he can get a little bit bigger and, and kind of refine some of his skills. But I think that um, I think there's something to work with there. But out of the ones that I mentioned today, I would probably say Mike Warren. What is his best attribute as a player? Like, what is what does he do the best when it comes to his game? His contact balance is outstanding, Hunter, and and he finishes his runs. <laughs> he definitely very convincingly, I would say. He's um, guys tend to fall. He's a load to bring down, and guys tend to fall down like Boeing pins when he gets when he gets a full head of steam. Taking a look at uh, the running back position here uh, to start things off for this football for uh, Andrew DeCecco. You know, another guy that you we kind of take for granted is Corey Clement. I mean. Should should we be more? I don't want to say excited, but should we feel more uh, secure that Corey, if he's healthy, is a good veteran kind of? I mean, he is a veteran now. I mean, uh, but should we feel better about him? He's five ten, two hundred twenty pounds. Um, is he a guy that we should feel more secure with? I'm not sure that you can, considering he's only really had that 2017 season in as an, you know, as a kind of integral part to the offense, you know, 2018, he didn't really seem like himself before he got, uh, before he suffered an injury against Dallas late in the season. And then last year, he wasn't a part of the offense at all before he got hurt with that, with the shoulder injury. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks with, with Corey Clement as well. He has the most experience out of the guys and, but, you know, you saw him test the free agent market and there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, suitors uh, for his services and, he came back to Philly, and he'll have a chance. You know, if he's healthy, he'll have a, he'll have a chance. He's going to enter training camp with the with the upper hand. Hey, I want to uh, take a look at, at the wide receivers. I was seeing uh, an article that Pro Football Focus ranked the Eagles receivers in the top half of the league. Now, last year, we know famously they were the number one rated wide receiving core entering the season. By the end of the season, they might have been towards the bottom. This year's class kind of right in the middle. They seemingly don't know what to do with them, but – um, should we feel that the Eagles' receiving core has been upgraded uh, enough? I mean, do we feel pretty safe with this, or is it a very wild card? Because to me, you got Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and obviously uh, behind them, or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, by the way, is a wild card himself, and Greg Ward, you got those guys coming back. But after that, you got a lot of guys who were very much unknown. Yeah, um, there's a lot of unknown there. So there's, so you know, on paper it looks like they upgraded, but we have to see it play out this off season or in training camp this summer. Deshaun Jackson's coming back healthy. That that in and of itself is you know a significant upgrade. And then you have Jalen Rager, who you know he he's NFL ready. He's going to have a big role in the offense here. He'll probably he's going to enter the training camp probably as a third receiver. And um, you know it's he every rep that he gets is going to be of the utmost importance because, you know, because of, uh, you know, it's crunch time. There's not, he doesn't have, he didn't have that, that classroom time, that, that grass time that Doug Peterson said he hasn't gotten that, um, you know, and that's really important for a guy who's going to be a, a big part of the offense, you know, week one. And um, JJ Arcega Whiteside is a big wild card, but you, you kind of heard of some of the challenges that he had to, that he kind of had to overcome last season. He played through a lot of pain. 
he it was a little bit you know it took him a little while to get you know get his feet under him and get a get a hold of the offense and he made some plays when his number was called I think he needed to get some confidence back after you know kind of being uh being on somewhat of a sabbatical for the second for the early part of the season he, you know he, he made some catches he made a big catch in the, in the Patriots game um so I, I mean there's some guys there John Hightower is a guy who I spoke about that I really like but you know he's a little bit raw. They're missing valuable time right now. But we'll have a better sense of where they're at, obviously, in August. Speaking of pro football focus, Carson Wentz was ranked tenth in the league in passing downfield, which consists of twenty or more yards. Me and Gil were both a little stunned by that the other day. We feel mm-hmm. he isn't the most accurate passer at times. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, there's listen. There's certain passes that he threads the needle on that you know that you're just you know you're amazed by. I mean, like the one to Corey Clement on Monday Night Football against Washington really sticks out. But then there's times where he completely misfires on on guys, just like any quarterback really really will. But I mean, that, that's an area of his game that I'm sure he would tell you that you know can can, st- can stand to be improved upon. But I mean, you know, there's there's so many different things that he does well, and I think that's a very that's a developing aspect of his game that I, I expect him to kind of now that he actually has deep threats. You saw what he could do with Deshaun Jackson in the Washington game for, you know, in, in the season opener. I think now that he has some pieces around him, I think we'll be more consistent in that aspect of his game. I think that's a great point that you bring up is the fact that he was ranked as one of the best when he really didn't have any weapons. And, and you mentioned that mm-hmm. about Deshaun Jackson. I mean, Hunter asked me a question yesterday. How many more touchdowns do we foresee him throwing? I mean, last year, I think people forget he threw 27 touchdowns last year with basically no weapons. So, I, I, to me, the, the Deshaun Jackson, the one game he had with him, if that's any indication, he's up for a huge year. And then you add Rieger in there. Uh, the the fact that he was ranked 10th for whatever that means in terms of the deep ball, I think that will only go up. Yeah, it's certainly only going to go up. And, and, and that shows his willingness to, you know, take those deep shots. You know, there's there's been some talk that he hasn't been, he's, he's, you know, doesn't necessarily like to take those risks, but I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that he took the shots when they were there. And now that he has, you know, listen, he was working with, you know, guys like Robert Davis and Deontay Burnett and, and, and Greg Ward, Greg Ward did a great job, but he's more of a slot receiver. So I, I think that he made the most of what he had, but now that he actually has these, these pieces, these dynamic pieces around him, and I think he, he's really going to elevate his game. And I wouldn't necessarily say that, uh, I, I wouldn't rule out 40 touchdowns, um, for Carson this year. There you go. What was my number? Wow. 38. You, you went 38, and I thought that was too high. I went around 31. Because I just feel like these big bombs, these explosive plays, yeah, that's going to add touchdowns to maybe Deshaun Jackson and some of the speed guys, but then you would think it would take away from maybe a Zach Ertz touchdown in the red uh, zone. See, Andrew, this is where I don't see if you agree or not. Hmm. I feel like if the Eagles offense averaged 23 a game last year with what they had, they're going to average, you know, 30 uh, 28, 29, 30 points a game, which means there are, the same touchdowns will be scored, but you're going to be adding touchdowns. Yeah, and let's not forget that you're going to have Boston Scott for a full season. You saw him. You saw what he could do in the passing game. Now you got him from week one. Miles Sanders is ready to take that next step in his in his uh, career. Uh, should have a big sophomore campaign. Should see anywhere from 18 to 20 touches up by by my estimation. And uh, and Greg Ward, who was your top receiver, now is your you know fifth or sixth guy. 
So and and he's proven that he's you know he's well adept at making plays. And you have Deshaun now. You have all these different parts and components that that are gonna. It'll be interesting to see how they all mesh together. But he has so many more options now that I wouldn't. I, I don't see how he can't reach that thirty-eight to forty touchdown range. No, so, uh, by the way, Eagles last year averaged twenty-four points a game. So if they average another touchdown, they're gonna be around 30, 31 points a game, which, by the way, last year the league-leading Baltimore Ravens averaged 33. The next highest team was 29.9. So we're essentially saying that adding Deshaun Jackson could make this one of the top offenses in the league. I mean, is that too aggressive? No, I, especially with uh, when you look at the the pieces that they the coaching uh, the coaches that they added. You know, you got Rich Scangarello um, as a senior offensive assistant. You got Andrew Briner, of course, from uh, Mississippi State. He'll be the the passing game analyst. And you got Marty Morningweg, who you brought over as a senior offensive assistant. So there's guys that, between the the added components to the offense and and the the fresh new, fresh ideas and, and new concepts. I think you're going to see you know a, a kind of a uh, an explosive Eagles offense is going to challenge for one of the best in, in football. How much impact do you think these coaches are really going to have on the offense? Because at the end of the day, you know, it is Doug Peterson's offense, and I just feel like maybe there's almost too many voices in there. Well, I mean, you can look at uh, the 2017 season when, when there was uh, all those different voices, Mike Rowe, Doug Peterson, um, and uh, John Filippo, and all, I think it's going to be more of a collaborative effort, Hunter, uh, to be honest with you. I, I think that, you know, you, you kind of get information from all those guys. They're all going to have their input, and you kind of filter it through, and Doug's going to take what he likes from that, and I think they're going to execute that. But I think it will be more of a collaborative effort because all those guys have, you know, fresh ideas and to bring to the table, and you brought them in for a reason. So I really think you have to consider everything that, that they're bringing to the table in order to, for the offense to take it to the next level. Uh, Andrew, to check this with us, football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Check out Andrew's stuff covering the Eagles at 973ESPN.com. Um, I want to ask, uh, a lot of things have changed on the defensive side of the ball, um, not so much on the offensive side of the ball. But before uh, we look at the offense, I want to go over to the defense, and you look at replacing Malcolm Jenkins, all right? How comfortable do you feel with where they are in doing that because I feel like you know Slay, nice upgrade, uh, Hargrave, nice upgrade. Um, they added you know some nice pieces with Roby Coleman, who we talked with you earlier this week. Will Parks, but how are they and uh, how comfortable should we be about what they've done to replace Jenkins? It's funny, uh, Jeff and I actually wrote an article. Um, you know, naming our we each named our pick for you know the the toughest you know toughest free agent loss to replace. He took Vitae, I took uh, Malcolm Jenkins. And when you look at it, uh, everything that Malcolm brought to the table um, for his six years in Philadelphia, he was an uh, he 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 was he epitomized what it meant to be a modern day Iron Man. He uh, he played ninety nine percent of the snaps for his first three seasons. He played. Uh, I think he played every single snap last season. He played on special teams. He played, you know, he played dime linebacker. He played single high. He covered the slot. He, and not only that, he was the he was a selfless leader, and he was a pillar in the community. So I think when you factor in all those things, he's, he's got to be one of the toughest guys to replace. Now, you have Rodney McLeod there, who now becomes the elder statesman of the secondary. Rodney's a good leader, and he'll have a chance now to, to kind of run that room. And, you know, he's going to have to bring these, some of these young guys along. I'm, I'm, I'm high on Kayvon Wallace, but I think it's going to take him a little bit of time. He might be behind the curve there, obviously, as most rookies will. 
but um, they, they have some pieces there. I think it'd be more of a, of a collective effort to kind of uh, replicate the, 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 the production that, that Malcolm had. Looking at this article on InsideTheBirds.com, and I love the way that Jeff started his off. I literally can't believe I'm writing <laughs> this in terms of Vitae being his pick. But what about replacing Vitae? I brought this up to Adam yesterday. Could it possibly be Jason Peters? I suppose it could be, but the way I've always been a proponent, Hunter, that you got to let your young players play, uh, give them, give them the benefit of the doubt. And if, you know, if, if it turns out that, you know, that plan, you know, goes awry for whatever reason, you still have Jason Peters on speed dial. And I'm sure he's not in a hurry to get in there for training camp as it is. So you let Matt Pryor, let him go out there and try and be that swing tackle. Listen, Vitae is a tremendous loss, arguably one of the best, one of the, like, the biggest loss of the Eagles uh, off season because he, you know, you don't really realize what you have until he's gone. It's that old saying, but he was able to play guard. He could play tackle and he could play. And he, he kind of, he, let's, let's face it. He was a Super Bowl starting tackle. Um, and, and he did, and he filled in when necessary and admirably at times. So I think that when you look at the roster now, Matt Pryor's their, their veteran, you know, their veteran reserve, and that's not ideal, but let's see what he can do. You know, having gotten his feet wet last season, let's see what he can do in the off season. And, and if he can put it all together in training camp to be that, to be that swing tackle that they drafted him to be. Hey, by the way, we opened this conversation up with running back, the backups. What about Miles Sanders? I mean, he has been, very active recently on social media. He was on uh, Sirius XM NFL radio, basically saying, you know, uh, he's, he's mentioned about being the MVP of the league. How secure are you with uh, what kind of season Sanders will have as the lead back? Do you view him as a bona fide, uh, I don't want to say bell cow three down back, but is he going to be like a top half of the league running back? I do. There's an article that I that I wrote, and We've got a live look into wherever Andrew is right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, so there's an article I did, and I put uh, Miles Sanders as the 11th ranked running back going into the 2020 season. I think that he's going to have the opportunities to to really step up. And, and, and play, I think he's going to have anywhere from 18 to 20 touches per game. I think we can have upwards of, you know, 50 receptions in, in 2020. Um, he's more comfortable. You saw what you saw. He got off to a, a slow start as a rookie, but he got, he got confidence the more he played. And I think, you know, moving forward, um, you, you saw what he did at the end of last season. I think it's going to carry over. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in the, in the sophomore slump. I think he's going to, he's going to build off of what he, what he started at the, at the end of last season. And, and really, he, I don't. MVP is a little bit lofty, but I, I think we'll we'll move into the elite category by the end of the season. If you could compare Miles Sanders to one player in the NFL right now, who would it be? Or do you think he's kind of his own identity? I mean, I guess you know, if, if put on the spot, uh, maybe maybe an Aaron Jones from Green Bay, perhaps. But I think he's kind of he's kind of his own identity. He he. he you, you saw some of the some of the catches that he made last season. You see you see the damage he can do in the open field. Um, I actually do think that you know if the if the Eagles were to you know to not go by the by the committee approach, I think it, he would be a guy that could be a three down running back. Obviously, they want to they want to shuffle in guys to keep him fresh. But um, I, I think that you know he he brings a, he has a very unique skill set, and um, and I and I think that that it's going to show this season. All right, Andrew, uh, we're looking at guys. I know one of the things that you specialize in is uh, the draft, and 
Uh, is there a guy, a undrafted rookie, or a late round pick that we should keep our eye on as we get closer to you know we're about nine weeks from training camp? And Doug Peterson met, he he admitted the other day um, in, a, in a text to Sal Pal Antonio. We had Sal Pal on earlier. He said you know chemistry is an issue. You, you can't gain chemistry on a Zoom call. Uh, so that's going to make it more difficult for these undrafted guys and these late round guys. But is there is there a guy uh, that you are interested in as a late round pick or a undrafted guy that uh, we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I have two guys for you. So let's go to the draft pick route first. We're going to go with Casey Tuhill from Stanford. I didn't really know much about Casey until I went to the Shrine Bowl and from the far side of the field, I see this undersized defensive lineman just giving these massive offensive tackles fits. He's just he's working his moves. He's he's, ten, he's tenacious. He's aggressive. He was just he was just getting into the backfield of regularity. And I, I go over for a closer look, and it turns out it was Casey Tuhill. Um, he's a little bit on the older side for a rookie. I believe he turns 24 this summer. He has an uphill battle to make the roster. He'll be competing with you know the Joe Osmonds and the Sharif Millers and and Jannard uh, Averys and and all those guys. So I think that you know he's probably destined for the practice squad as a rookie. But I think that he has enough skill set there worth developing and can be a, a piece for the future. Um, as far as the undrafted free agents go, I like Raekwon Williams, the defensive tackle from Michigan State. I got to see him at the Shrine Bowl as well. He's another guy with very active hands. He has a good burst off the ball, quick first step. And he had five sacks last season um, for, the, for Michigan State. And he played, for, I think he believe, I believe he started 42 games for the, for the Spartans, which you know, it was no small accomplishment. So I was kind of surprised that, that he went undrafted. I actually had him as a sixth round. I had him as, gave a six-round uh, six grade on him. So I think he's going to be a guy that will compete with Anthony Rush and for the defensive tackle spot, the fifth, uh, the fifth spot. Um, I, I like the Williams pick by you as well. I think he's very interesting. In fact, I think we talked about this about a week or so ago, uh, about, you know, him coming out. If he would have came out early, he may have been drafted and probably would be in the league playing by now. Instead, he ends up going back to Michigan State, and he didn't have as good of a year. Um, for whatever reasons, and uh, he ends up not being drafted, but he could possibly uh, be in the mix. We'll leave you with this. Um, you know, the Eagles put into the league about changing the overtime, uh, basically to the AAF format, right? I mean, they 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 put in to do instead of kicking, not the overtime. It was the onside kick. Excuse me. Instead of kicking an onside kick, they put in to get the ball on a fourth down and 15 from the 25-yard line. Basically what the AAF did is that's something that uh, we could see happening in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it could. The, you see so many different rules being kind of uh, new, so many different new rules every, each year. I don't know necessarily that that'll be one that, that happens in 2020, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on in the future. Yeah, that that was uh, something that they threw out there, I guess. Uh, they basically took that from the old AAF, which lasted about five yeah. games, and then they said, you know what, that was pretty good. We'll take it, um, and we'll see. We'll see if uh, the XFL rules, some of those rules come into play too uh, now that the XFL. Although, did you see the story that apparently Vince McMahon is trying to rebuy back the XFL? <laughs> I did see that. That, that's a that's a whole that's a whole other story, man. I, I can't. Uh, that's a mess. That that whole thing was uh, unbelievable. All right, Andrew DeCecco, football at four. Check out his uh, article on the Eagles' backup running back situation right now on our website ninety seven three ESPN dot com. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Thanks, Andrew. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. You got it, guys. Have a great weekend. All right, uh, Andrew DeCecco. 
football for powered by InsideTheBirds.com. And uh, I really enjoy getting deep into the roster dives there. He's mentioned Raycon Williams a couple times. That's the name that I think we should all keep an eye on. But there's another guy he mentioned, Casey Tuhill, who is uh, the kid from Cal. And I'm wondering, you know, as we took, we, we what? Stanford, Stanford, I think. Sorry, I got the wrong Pac-12 school. Right state, wrong school. What did CT say? Right church, wrong cube. But Casey Tuhill, we keep talking about adding a pass rusher. Maybe they say between him and Joe Osman and some of these guys that are lesser known, Sharif Miller, eh, they don't feel like they need one. I don't know if I'm going to believe that. I hope I'm wrong. All right, Sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by the Play Sugar House Online Casino app. Special promotion going on right now. It's the Cash Machine Spectacular. From now until Sunday, PlaySugarHouse.com will give away $1,000 at random each day to players that play one of three featured slots from every, including the Red Hot Cash Machine slot. Visit PlaySugarHouse.com for details. Don't miss out. The promotion ends Sunday. Have fun. Please bet within your limits. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When we come back, it's Ask Mike and Broad. That's next. We answer your questions. Weekdays from 2 to 6, South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Uh, happy hour Friday tonight in one hour. Todd Rank joins us. You know, last week he told us about what it's like to be a single guy using Tinder during a pandemic. You wonder if he had a date this week. Like, was there any chance with- that he... I'm going to go with no. He said he's not big on actually meeting these women right now. Right. He's just kind of looking. Like, looking but don't touch. I, I guess I don't really blame him. It's got to have. That's got to be fun, if right? You were a single guy right now. Bit. If you were a single guy, would you do online dating? Forget pandemic. Just would you do online dating? If I was a single person, would I be against using something like Tinder? No, I wouldn't be. Luckily, though, not a single man. Don't need to worry about it. So, but you would. So you'd be all right, like doing Match. dot com or something like See, that. Now, what, I do feel, and I don't want anyone to get upset with me, but if you go into Match. dot com, eHarmony, that's a different vibe from Tinder and the apps. It's two totally different playing fields. So you would Tinder it, but you're not looking for a long termer on a match. Exactly. I don't think I'd go eHarmony or like Farmers Only. Do you, <laughs> do you think that head of lettuce would get you any dates right now? Yeah, you're damn right. I think <laughs> Kevin Durso, though, on Farmers Only would be probably a good match with Buddy Rock. Durso's engaged. I know, no, no. I'm just saying from the cowboy hat and the flannel, like he could probably rock a little Farmers Only. That's all. By the way, I think Durso's on Sports Bass Saturday tomorrow. That's that exciting. confirmed? Yeah. Oh, he hasn't heard back from me yet, but he'll get back to you. Well, yeah, and, and, and when he does, I want a verification of it. If he believes, if he was single, would Farmers Only work for his style? Is that that's an all. actual one? Yeah, Farmers Only, that's a thing. Is it? Yeah, what we did was Were one of my farmers buddies. Farmers Only date farmers? Yeah, so this is what we did. 
a couple of my buddies, we went to a Kenny Chesney concert like five, six years ago. And my buddy had on like jeans, shorts with boots and like a cutoff flannel. We used that at his, as his profile picture. Yeah. We put his phone number in there and he was getting blown up. And we're all <laughs> sitting there watching him. It's like, what the hell is going on right now? He's just getting blown up. I didn't realize they had specific, uh, you know, careers that you, you could think, like... You, you think there's a sports talk radio right? only dot com or exactly something? I don't like know. Sports talk radio singles dot com. <laughs> I don't know if it gets to that level. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> I'm out on that. That's funny. Uh, All right. Well, sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN. It's time for Ask Mike and Broads. Send us a question with the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. Every day, 430, we'll answer your questions it could be anything could be uh hey bro you ever been on a dating site could be but we don't have that today what we do have though and and we cue these up from all week so we get blasted with them early in the week we take them all we put them in this little document here so this question was actually asked early in the week but i like that because the question from carmen is do you think that the nba and nhl should just cancel the rest of the season and focus for next season Now, my answer is no as well. But let's bring it back to maybe Monday. No. I feel as if we would have had a different answer. No, my answer has been the same. I just played 65 games. I'm not rushing to play another meaningless 82-game schedule. I have the most meaningful part of my schedule coming up. I don't want to cancel them to go to more unmeaningful games. So I don't care when I restart these games. I'm going to play these 65, these 15 games and my playoffs. I don't care about next season yet. I'll worry about that later. Yeah, I, I did not go with that mindset earlier. Now that we know that things are starting to come along, I'm all in on getting this thing going. But I just figured, you know what? It, there's asterisks next to all these names anyway. It doesn't really matter. And look, uh, you, you make a point about what matters to us as fans. Like, oh, these games are meaningless. The regular season, you are right about that. But financially, those regular season games mean a lot money-wise. So from like a business standpoint, from an NHL, NBA, they might view it different than we do as fans. I get that. But they just played 65 games. So they have the revenue of a 65-game season. 65, give or take. Most teams are in that range. You would still get to play your 15 to 20 more games and make the revenue off those games. And then you make the most revenue off your playoff game. So the teams that would make the playoffs are, would still be making the revenue, and then you would get another regular season. Why lose the revenue of those 15 to 20 games and a playoff season to jump into another regular season? Now, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just saying if we – now we have more information, so it's easier for me to come up with this decision and say, let's figure a way to find it out. But I'm talking about if we had zero knowledge and we were still, say, in the mindset of March – where it's, what is this? What is going on? And we were still in that spot now, which no. I would say a couple of weeks ago, we were somewhat I, in that area when it comes to sports. I have been with this opinion the whole time, but I don't need to see 82 more meaningless games. I just watched 65 meaningless games. I want to watch the playoff. You have them sitting there. If I'm going to restart, why jump over playoffs to go back to playing meaningless games? Well, it's just to keep the schedule intact and to kind of go with the normal flow. So you're you're setting up next season with a fresh start and like let's get this thing back on track like normal. That's that's where I would see it from. That would be the I, only I, thing. Listen, I get your I totally see where you're coming from with 
hey, let's get this going again. Let's pick it up because we played it all. But yeah. I just think, you know what? If it's so, there is so much involved here that if you could say, let's call it a wash and get it back on track, maybe we should do that. I just like, you know, the, the Flyers thing, they played so well this year, and it's just like, yeah, that didn't mean anything. Let's just start over again. Those games were like exhibitions. Like, no, those games happened. They mattered. Let's go. Let's see the result of those games. Now, listen, I, I want them to finish. I want them to do it. My answer now is no, I don't think they, they should cancel it. But I do think maybe not Monday, but maybe last week. I would have had a different opinion, but now that we have more knowledge and it seems like we will be getting sports, hopefully mid-July, I don't think I, uh, I don't think I would can to it. But that's an interesting question, and I think you'd have so many different opinions on that. That's yeah. why I like stuff like this. Like you could ask fifteen people, and the way that they describe the way they believe in it would be so different from each other. I can dive with that. Yeah, I mean, look. If we were another three weeks down the road and we still weren't closer to stuff, maybe I'd change my mind. I doubt it. I mean, but could could be. Since the beginning, though, I've said, play the, I don't even understand why they don't finish the regular season game. They let the players have games to get ready for the playoffs. Uh, although I will say that Adam Silver has been pretty steadfast. It seems that he wants to play a regular playoff seven-game series format. That I'm that happy to hear. That would be fantastic. Yeah, you don't want to start playing around with some of this nonsense tournament stuff. I, I'm very disappointed with the NHL with this 2014 format. The thing is, though, I, I don't have enough information. If the rule is it's either this or no hockey at all, then obviously I would pick this. But it's hard for me to believe that the only way to get the NHL back is to have some sort of 24-team playoff. Yeah. It's crazy. But, hey, the next question and this is a little tough, but top Eagles roster in who the asked, past. Who asked this question? This is that me. T H A T me. So not an actual real name. It's that one me. Of those. Okay. That, that me. me. Top Eagles roster in the past 15 years, in your opinion. So the best Eagles roster. Mm -hmm. So I take this as doesn't mean the best team to no. like who like won it, who went farther, just the the best roster. It's like the 08 Phillies weren't the best team, even though they won the World Series. They didn't have the Co best roster. Correct. So he's asking the top Eagles roster in the past 15 years. It's a little tough. You're gonna have to dive in a little bit. Yeah, but. I mean, I don't have the research. I didn't know this question was coming. I mean, these are just like surprise questions for, for us well, typically. The, no, I agree. I And I, I agree with that. I I'll thought, say... Remember last year? People thought last year's roster was better than the team that won the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean it was the best in the last 15 years. You could go back to the Dream Team roster and talk about that team was loaded with talent. They just didn't... You know, that was the year of the lockout, and they didn't get a chance to play with each other, and they got off to a slow start. And if you remember, they got off to a slow start. Then the second half, I think they won like their last four games um, and I don't know if that's the best roster over the last 15 years. You're going back to, what, 2005? Yeah. I mean, the Eagles did go to the NFC Championship game in 2009 that year with McNabb, and they played the, the Cardinals, but they weren't very good. They were like 9-6-1 and one that year. Yeah, it's a, t it's a tough answer to just get thrown at you like that. You know, you're going to have to, like, dive into all the rosters from last that's 15 years. That's one that you ask on a Friday, and then when we come back on Tuesday, we would have all the research put together.
Well, is that something that we would like to do? Yeah, if I didn't have enough, if I don't have too many IPAs. I was gonna say you might you might be a little too boozed up. You don't think about it, and oh. on Tuesday we're missing out. But all right, hey, listen, I'll keep it up there. I won't delete it. So maybe our brain, if we're lucky, will go back to that, and we can dive into it a little deeper. I got some breaking news. Ooh, Kevin Durso just confirmed for tomorrow, and that he met his fiance on FarmersMatch.com. I don't believe you. <laughs> no, he didn't. Con- <laughs> he is going to be on tomorrow, Sports Fast Saturday, but not that he met his wife. Was, was anything confirmed about Farmers Only at all? Is that even the name of the site? Yes, I believe it is. I will, I will Google it, and I will hope that nobody goes on my computer. I've heard like JewishSingles.com. Like I that think that's one. another one. Or like yeah, FarmersOnly.com. Wow. City folks I just don't get it. I know there's one for like, um, rich people. That's their slogan. City folks just don't I, get it. I've seen the, um, yeah, like the for like people who are, make a lot of money. Rich people, oh, singles.com? I don't know. No, it's like, um, I don't know, like uh, whitecollarcrimepeople.com or something like that. I don't use that. No, I'm saying I have seen an advertisement for it. Yeah, I'm saying I, I don't use that. All right. I'm just saying it exists. So there are huh. special classifications like... You must have to make a certain amount of money to advertise yourself on there. Imagine. Oh, I mean, too, don't you think it's a little shallow? You think there's people lying about how much money they make? You, do you have to send in your W-2s? Right. How do they How do they um, bet you? They probably don't. It's just, hey, type in a number. I mean, there's probably so many people getting catfished on that site. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I love that. Next question. This is from Tide2K. What would you do with the Sixers coaching staff this offseason? Would you trade any players or just try to get this roster to work? That's three different questions. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I just read what he sent us. What would I do with the coaching staff this offseason? I mean, would you, I guess, would you fire Brett Brown? And right now we'll go with, we don't know what's going to happen. So it seems like they might play, but let's just go with right now the season ends in this scenario. What do you do with Brett Brown? I probably bring him back because, look, bringing in a new coach, you don't even know how much time you're going to get to work with the team. Very so true. You would say that I have a stable situation coming back by keeping my coach here, as opposed to bringing in a new coach who's never worked with these guys before. Would you trade any players? Well, if I could, yeah, I'd try to make calls to see, hey, can I trade Al Horford? Uh, is anybody interested in that contract? I mean, I would certainly not rule it out. I'm not going to go into the offseason and say, but I will also say this. I think they have to stop turning the roster over so frequently. Well, getting rid of these players will do that. Now, the one thing we kind of touched on with Tobias Harris the other day, we support what Tobias brings to the table. Would, Would you be interested in, what if you kept Al Horford, but you got rid of Tobias in that contract. Now, to me, that would be silly because at least Tobias makes sense and fits with Embiid and Simmons. I'm not but would actively, you get rid of that? Yeah, I'm not actively trying to trade Tobias Harris. If I got blown away by a deal, that's a different story. But what I would say is, again, I go back to, I'm not trading someone just to trade him. Like, I don't think Al Horford is a waste. I think he was a bad fit so far, but that doesn't mean that that can't be salvaged. Is my point. 
And I think I, the continuity of keeping the roster together is probably a better way to go about it than trying to friggin' bring in another group of players to play with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And oh, by the way, another group of players that ben, uh, Brett Brown has to try to figure out what to do with and what they do best and what fits best for them. I want to get your opinion on this, and I always relate the Sixers to the Celtics to an extent. Last year, they were a dumpster fire, and they had Kyrie Irving. Now, they did get rid of Kyrie Irving, so that changes things. But they still have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I mean, they added Kemba Walker, but essentially they're the same team, and they flip-flopped Kyrie and Kemba. They were awful, and now this season, they were flying under the radar with a really solid season. Why can't that happen with the Sixers? Like, why is it because they are this bad this year? Not this bad, this frustrating, let's say. Because they're this frustrating this year, that means automatically next year, they're going to be just as frustrating. I just saw the Celtics go through the same situation and come out on top the following year. Why can't that happen with the 76ers? Certainly can. People are way too close-minded with things improving, chemistry changing the way playing with this guy more getting a better feel sticking together pulling through some tough times how many times do we see teams you know get knocked out in the first round or the second round and then they come back they maybe tinker here or there i think the sixers more so need a tinker than a big time move i think their biggest moves moving forward is the development and the enhancement of the talent that joel and beat and ben simmons should bring to the table the um experience that they keep getting is undervalued we keep forgetting that they're going to keep getting better every year remember when we played that larry brown cut and he talked about joel Embiid and if he had that mindset of michael jordan that he could dominate this league and, and be one of the best in the league yeah why why didn't ben simmons name be tied to that like to me if michael jordan's mindset was in ben simmons I think that's better for this team than Joel Embiid, and I wonder why his mind went to Embiid first. I, I uh, well, I think we should get into that on the other side. Sports Bash Live 97.3. I have a theory on that why, why I think he said one over the other, and it's something that I've alluded to on the show. 9-403-0973. On a Friday, 10 to the top, the MTPT Top 5 at 5 is on the way. Five day trips. Five uh, best day trips to tell people in the area they can do. It's National Day Trips Day. It's also National Craft Distillery Day, but since PT can't play along in that game, we can't really do it. But we've been throwing some good craft beer ideas out for you for the weekend. We can uh, talk about those throughout the rest of the show. Happy Hour Friday coming up. Todd Rank will join us. I've got a list of craft beers to try this Memorial Day weekend at 973ESPN.com. You guys have been texting some in throughout the day. By the way, I got this text earlier that said just got into Ocean City. No problem. It's not busy at all. That's good to hear. Another one from Calvin in Smithville says the high five is alive and well. Glad to hear that, Calvin. Gotta love a high five. Love the high five. So, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Why did Larry Brown bring up Embiid and not Simmons? I'll tell you what I think. I have always said that I think Joel Embiid is a unique player. And not that Ben Simmons isn't. The problem with Ben Simmons and the uniqueness is there is one skill set 
that he just does not do. Joel Embiid is a player that no other player in the league is similar to. He is somebody that does stuff stuff that no other player does. He's seven foot two. He's a massive man, but he has the skill set sometimes of a guard. To win championships, you have to have a player in your team that does something that no other player does. Nobody else does what LeBron James does. He's totally unique in the way he plays the game. Nobody can do what Kevin Durant does. He's six foot eleven. He can handle, he can shoot it, he can drive. He is a unique player. Steph Curry is almost, you can almost say he's a unique player in that he is the best shooter in the world. Joel Embiid, to me, is unique, meaning he can be the best player on the team that wins a title. And to win a title, you either need to have that unique player or multiple guys who are pretty close to being unique. And that's why I think he looks at Joel Embiid as there's nobody else in the world in this league that is comparable to what he does. That's a, that that's probably the way he was going with it, but I just think that with this league and the way that it is, can a center win you an NBA title? If he's a unique center, if he does stuff that nobody else does, if he's just a center and you're – lobbing it into him on the post, and you're getting twos all the time? Probably not. But if you have a center who can get you the tough twos, get to the line, convert, and shoot the three, and shoot the mid-range, and defend, and block shots, and do all of it, that's a different story. Don't you think, though, that Ben Simmons has that unique skill set as well that not people, many people in this league do not have? Yeah, I do, except for the one flaw, is that he is so unique in what he does. But if he added that little bit more, he would be that unique player that we're talking about. Unfortunately, right now, he's just a guy that's in the open court. I'll put it like this, though, when I look at this team. If they have everyone playing but Joel Embiid, I feel more comfortable than when everybody's playing but Ben Simmons. So to me, I think Ben Simmons is the one that will be the difference in, in this team winning that title or not. And that might have to come with him being the primary ball handler, right? Because he runs the offense. So that is a big part of this. Yeah. But and I the drop-off from him to the next guy is pretty significant. Whereas the drop-off to Embiid is significant. The problem is they essentially change what they do. When what? When Ben Simmons is off the floor? No, when Embiid's out. They basically oh, become they a three-point bombing team. Right. They start shooting a lot of perimeter shots. Yeah. Correct. I'm just, I think this is a Ben Simmons team. If I had to pick, to me, this is a Ben Simmons team. So seeing Larry Brown say that, I think it needs to be Ben Simmons with that mode. Yeah. I mean, look, I think I'm not trying to downplay Simmons' importance either, but I look at Embiid as a special, unique talent that is not comparable to anybody else. I mean, Jokic, I guess. How does Marcus Saul shut him down so much then? Fair question.